I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, he's a great fieldsman, Philip Tuffman. He often falls over and he's brought it into his batting as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vaughan and Tuffers Cricket Club podcast brought to you by The Telegraph. Ben, Michael and Phil back with you this week, reflecting on a frustrating few days to be an England cricket fan. Australia have retained the Ashes. Despite a dominant display from England in the fourth test at Old Trafford, the visitors will keep hold of the urn after heavy rain halted any chance of a win for England and the opportunity to level the series at 2-2. The three of us will unpack the limited action we saw, including an incredible 189 from Zach Crawley, but we'll also discuss what England could have done earlier in the series to ensure the weather was never a factor, and we'll ask whether the rules need to be looked at to prevent future washouts. Our guest today is one of the biggest names in the media and one of the biggest cricket fans around, none other than Piers Morgan. He's been incredibly vocal throughout the summer about his support for England and his disdain, really, towards Australia. So we're very much looking forward to getting his views on the series so far. And as usual, we'll check in with Nick Holt for all the latest from the England camp, which has named an unchanged squad for the fifth and final test at the Oval. Right, morning, Mike. Morning, Phil. A washout at Old Trafford, a drawn test. Uh, and the question I was asking myself as I sat by the pool in sunny Cyprus uh, was, what do you guys do on days like Saturday and Sunday when the rain is pouring down and there's no cricket, apart from constantly refreshing your weather apps? Well, uh, exactly. There must have been about 20 different weather apps we were constantly looking at. Oh, it was so frustrating. It's frustrating for everyone, isn't it? Let alone how the players must feel when they're on the, you know, on the edge of a fabulous victory. They dominated the test match and what have you, and they just can't get out there for rain. It was so frustrating. Eat, wine comes, lots of tea and the odd, the odd sleep and watch the open. But, um, oh, it was horrible, Mike, wasn't it? Ah, it was a right pain. Um, yeah, apps, I, I, I'm with you, Phil. We had loads. Agus seemed to be the one with the most sensible reading of, of an app. He was very positive all the time. There was so, Let's be honest, some of those forecasters on Saturday got it horrendously wrong. Yeah. They basically said, no chance Saturday, chance on Sunday afternoon. It was a complete opposite. We got a bit of place Saturday. There was no chance on Sunday. Uh, yeah, watching the Open, that was quite nice. Uh, just sitting back watching the Open, but... Um, you get thrown on the radio to talk a bit of nonsense uh, for hour after hour, uh, yeah. try and make a few things up. That's always a bit of a laugh, uh, but so disappointing for England. England this week hammered Australia. Oh, yeah. oh. That was as, as dominating a performance either way yeah. in terms of Australia hammering England in the, in the, you know, in the, in the last 30, 40 years compared to that to England. I, I've not seen an England side really dominate uh, an, an Aussie side from it wasn't from ball one from three seventeen we thought was par but after they got the bat in hand oh. um, they absolutely pummeled Australia. Yeah, so I was going to ask whether how you would rate it, um, whether it was the best in the Basball era, but uh, you obviously think it was better than better than yeah. that going going back covering a few few eras. Is that true for you too, Phil? Yeah, no, absolutely. There was a one that that. The partnership between Ben, uh, the partnership between Zach Crawley and um, Joe Root, 
I've, they, the Aussies did not have a clue what was going on. Yeah. They went short ball, didn't get it right. And then England, to be fair, changed their tactics against the short ball. They looked to just, you know, knock it on the head and take ones and twos. They ran them ragged. I've never seen so many Australian cricketers waving their hands around. Yeah and running around like ants all over the field. And then they all just ended up on the boundary. I mean, it was like a club cricket. It really was. <laughs> I'm loath to say it, but Pat Cummins looked uh, looked uh, a, a man, a clueless man out there. He, he, really... he, he looked a little short of answers, didn't he? Uh, but I mean, that's like when Stark, Hazelwood and Cummings have gone for a combined 392 runs, yeah. I mean, that's a shellacking. They look shell-shocked, didn't they, Mike? Yeah, and Pat Cummins' his last 38 overs, he's got two for 206. So England have found a way of uh, putting the Australian captain under a huge amount of pressure. You go back uh, over recent series, and particularly back in the 80s and 90s, the Aussies used to target the England captain. Well, I reckon England are targeting the Australian yeah, captain. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had a load of stick over the last 24 hours because I, I, I genuinely feel that over four test matches, England have been a better team. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely will stick by that, that England have been a better team. They've had two or three absolutely stupid moments in the series. Of course, I know you make mistakes, you lose test matches, but throughout four games, you look at the way they played at Headingley, this test match at Old Trafford, the rain saved Australia. It should be 2 all. It should really be 3-1 to England uh, because they should have won that first week at uh, Edgebaston. They just... And, and, and people talk about the declaration. I actually don't think the, the declaration cost England. I think yeah. it was their batting in the second innings and the drop chances and not being brave enough, actually, when they took the second new ball on that last afternoon. I thought they spread the field uh, too much. But, uh, yeah, England, uh, in my eyes, have been a better team. But the 2-1 down, that's cricket, that's sport. Uh, it's about winning the key moments at the, at the key times. Uh, England haven't done that early. And there's a reason why there's only been one team that's come back from 2-0 down in an Ashes series, and that was back in 32 or 28, back 100 years ago, and that's when there was timeless tests. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So the, the, there's a, there's a re reason why it's not happened. Um, and obviously the rain that came over the weekend, at the start of the series, Phil, I remember talking about, wait a minute, England have made too many mistakes, and it's all right saying 3-2, but weather will affect one test match. It always does in the UK. Um, so they really were chasing it, having gone 2-0 down. So they, they've only got themselves to blame um, yeah. for the reason why they're not going to be uh, lifting the urn this time round. And the other thing that just highlighted it for me at Old Trafford and with Pat Cummins as well, it was the loss of Nathan Lyon. Yeah. Uh, Without Nathan Lyon, he, with with Nathan Lyon, he just sticks him on one end when it's going all right, Mark, and he, he keeps it tight and he takes wickets. But then this time, he had to then try and find both ends. And and he, as you said, they were just scratching their heads. It was something to see, Ben, you know. And then yeah. Johnny B and Wallop, wow. Listen, <clears throat> I think they went on a little bit too long, let's be fair. I think they should have perhaps just had half an hour after lunch and then declared. Um, they went on that little bit too long, but it was some great entertainment. I enjoyed every single minute of it. When Johnny Bairstow has got a point to prove, and you can see he was <laughs> bristling, he was bristling with sort of, oh, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you, and he had... He's a, he's a proper bruiser, isn't he? I mean, Ben, ben Stokes was interviewed and uh, he was asked if he had any regrets going back um, over the series and he said no. But but equally, the, the batting looked better. As you said, Mike, they, they took a different approach to the short ball. Um, so they're obviously learning things. Do you think the side is developing? They're, they're sort of pretend that they're not particularly retrospective or they don't look at what they've what's gone wrong in the past, but it seems like they do. But this is the point with Ben, that if you go back for the first two test matches, they made mistakes. Um, some will say that declaring on day one at Edgebaston was a mistake. Yeah. Well, he probably batted on a lot longer at Old Trafford. Without Edgebaston, would he have done what we saw at Old Trafford? Again, we're just kind of trying to get into the mind of Ben Stokes. Uh, the batting, even though it scored at over 5.3s at Old Trafford, you, you felt that they played sensibly. You know, when the bouncer came, I think England now have worked a technical way of playing the bouncer better. They're opening the stance up. Uh, they're almost playing it the baseball way because they know it's coming. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're almost in position to play it and tap it on the head. Whereas 
uh, Lords, they were playing it in a way that they were surprised that the bouncer was coming, even though that they knew it was coming. So I think England have learnt. Um, England have to have regrets. You can't you can't be two one down in a series, and you can't lift the urn. And Australia now are, are, are going to be taking the urn home for the fourth consecutive Ashes series. Uh, you, you've got to have regrets. It's sport. It, it's the nature of the beast. And obviously, you can't look back in terms of and changing it. But you've got to look back and think if that happens again. So if that happens again in two and a half years' time, that England get the chance in, on Test 1 to nail them and make sure, first and foremost, you don't lose, and then you can go for the win, I reckon they'll do it differently, so they would have learned from that. Um, look, this England side talk positively all the time, and it's almost like a, an unwritten rule with them that you're allowed to talk about negative things of the past. That goes, that disappears, and it's about looking forward. But... The ultimate is to win, and that's what it's got to be about, and England aren't going to win the Ashes. Ben, Ben, baseball is evolving. Yes. It is evolving (laughs) slowly but surely, and that's what we saw at Old Trafford. I think they have learned, even though they're reluctant to say it, as Mike was saying, everything's positive, everything's looking forward. But as in everything in life, experience counts for a lot. So you must look back and you must then just sort of be self-critical a little bit and see how these sort of situations work against you. And and, and I think it is evolving and that's what we saw at Old Trafford. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, I just wish there was another Ashes series in about 18 months' time rather than two and a half years' time because... Two and a half years in cricket, particularly with both teams, and you look at Australia, I can't imagine all of those players are going to be playing in two and a half years. We we know Warner's going. There's yeah. a whisper that Steve Smith may go. Will that bowling attack be the same? Probably not. Will Kawaji still be there in two and a half years' time? We'll have to wait and see. England, Broad and Anderson, you can't see being there. Ben Stokes and his body. And I will say, if Ben Stokes is still there in two and a half years' time, with Baz McCullum and Rob Key, and again, it's a big if because it's a long time away, and they're two and a half years down the line of Baz balling, so that means that I've had four years playing this brand of cricket. It's the first time I've said this in many, many years. I've never said this. I think England, if they commit to this, and those three leaders are still around this group, I reckon England will have an incredible chance of winning the, the, the Ashes down under in Australia against the Kookaburra ball, Baz balling, yeah. playing sensibly at times. I guess it'll be, can they get 20 wickets? But I'm encouraged by a few of the young quicks that are coming through. And Jack Leach will be two and a half more years experience. So they'll have an experienced spinner going to Australia. Um, if Ben, Baz and Kesey are still around in 25-26, and it's a big if if they will be, I think England have got a great chance of winning the uh, the Ashes in Australia. Oh, I like yeah, that. I like that. Um, but before that, we've obviously got the fifth test at the Oval. And I'm just wondering what the, you think the mentality will be going into that because it's a weird one, isn't it? Because Australia, as we said, have got faced an absolute shellacking. They looked a bit knackered. They've played a lot of cricket. Um, and yet they've retained the Ashes. So are they going to go in upbeat or downbeat? It's, they, they, it's a huge game. It's a huge game for me. It's no dead rubber. It's not done and dusted and all that. Australia will be three one and two all is a huge difference. Australia three yeah. one. There, right? There's there's champagne on the flight home. If it's two all, you'll have a couple of beers. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And uh, and England as well. If they go down there and beat them at the Oval and it's two all, then they can start saying, you know, oh, well, we were unlucky, you know, the rain and we should have done this and we should have done that. And it makes everything a little bit easier to take, doesn't it? So I think there's a huge amount on this uh, Oval Test match just to really, you know, just to really say, listen, we, we, we turned you over in yeah. your own back. 3-1, there's no comment. Yeah. You're done. If you can't moan, you can't baseball, you can't do this, you can't do that. We've done your three one two all. It's just a slightly different slant. Yeah, I, I, I think all the pressure's on Australia. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I honestly do. I mean, they're, they're a team that didn't get it done in nineteen. They're a group of players that never won here. They've drawn here, uh, but they haven't won the Ashes here. Um, this England side won't change their mentality. I think they will be hell bent on making sure it's two all. And then they'll talk even more about the two days of rain at Old Trafford to say, look, we basically won this Ashes because of the rain. That's how this that that's how this England side taught. They'll, they'll be absolutely so committed to making sure that they get the job done this week and they'll try and put in the same performance that they did at Manchester and wipe the floor with Australia. 
if Australia win at the Oval, you know, I always talk about the best team um, always comes out on top in a five-match series. And if Australia win at the Oval, you'd have to say they are the best team over five matches because that's what you judge the teams on over the five games. Uh, I stay at the, say at the minute England have been the better team. If they win at the uh, Oval England, it's two all. I think they will even more rue what happened earlier in the series. Yeah, you know they 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 had Australia on toast at Edgebaston. Let's be honest, oh, oh, yeah. they had them cooked at Lords <laughs> when they were 180 odd for one. Nathan, like they had them cooked, absolute. But they were not good enough at that moment early in the series to get the job done. And it's easy to say, oh, yeah, but these things happen. No, you were, they weren't good enough at that particular moment to win those games. So they can't just go back and make excuses for it. But at Headingley and Old Trafford, they have produced some magic. They've produced some wonderful performance. Um, I think it's a big, big game. I really do. I think it's a massive game. I don't think it has any effect on the next series, but it has a huge effect on Pat Cummins in this Australian group. Steve Smith, Labuschagne, Warner, Hazelwood Stark. It's their legacies. You know, their legacies are always compared to the old Australian sides of the 90s, 2000s, who got the job done everywhere. Yeah. They won World Cups. They won here. Hammers here. They won in Australia. Hammers in Australia. <clears throat> well, if this Australian side can win 3-1, uh, they join that great group of uh, Australian test players from the 90s and 2000s. Right, right. I make this, I think it's possible. I reckon if, 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 we, if England win at the Oval, I think that they're going to come out and actually say that They've won the Ashes. Yeah, they will. They will. They will. I've never heard so much nonsense over the last few days about, oh, there needs to be an extra day, <laughs> a reserve day in a five... I mean, what a load of bollocks that is. I mean, come on. Now, do you think there's anything that should be done to sort of mitigate? Should we be starting earlier, finishing later? If there's weather around, should we sort of not go off for tea? Is there anything that could be done? Uh, well, I've had a look into the prices of roofs, and I think they're about seven hundred and twenty million. <laughs> I, I've got some. I reckon Kylian Mbappe could probably pay for a roof <laughs> with one with one year's salary in Saudi. So if we get on to Kylian and get yeah. him to pay for the roof. That would yeah. be a nice gesture on his behalf, wouldn't it? Nice. Yeah. Okay, which ground are we putting a roof on, Lords? Headingley. Headingley is the one that England yeah. likes to play at. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I think that listen, you know. It, 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 it was nailed on that we were going to get that weather, yeah. you know, yeah. beforehand. So we did know. So why don't you just try and start half an hour beforehand? We never get 90 overs in. It's just a given now that 90 overs is never, ever bold. Mm. So I don't even know why we're even bothering about it. I think that it should just be a little bit... I think Test cricket has to be a bit more flexible as it moves forward, you know what I mean? And they need to be a bit more energetic and a bit more proactive. I mean, the umpires wander around and, you know, the ground staff wander out. Let's get it going. Get moving. Get the bloody covers off. Put in and let's get playing. But the thing is, right, with Test cricket, in the first three Test matches, the over eight's been horrendous. So we bowl 82 overs, 83. And it's ironic in the fourth test, they didn't get enough cricket and now they start complaining. They weren't complaining, you know, in the first three games when there was results. Now, you know, if you look at day one, I think there was 82 overs. So there's eight overs lost. That's down to slow over eight. On day two, 83, seven overs. There's 15 overs. That's a session. On day three, another eight. So there's 23 overs that weren't bowled on the first three days. Now, if those overs had been bowled, England probably would have won the game. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, don't complain about the wet weather at the weekend when actually you as players, both sides, I'm not picking on England, or both sides and the game in general. Now, there's a a, a quite easy formula in that. If you started, even at 11, but I'd start at half past 10 and you have to get the 90 overs in. And if it goes till 7 o'clock at night, it doesn't matter. You've got to get those 90 overs in and you play on until the 90 overs are bowled um, that had been 270 overs for the first three days. The game would have been well into potentially Australia on, you know, I would have said arriving on that Saturday where we got more cricket than we, we thought. We got 30 overs. You know, another 23 overs of cricket in the first three days. You had 23 overs into the game now and, and England have probably won the match. Mm. Yeah. So don't complain about things once you need the complaint, if you know what I mean. Get the job done, get the overs done. Um, and I think the game will be in a better place for it. And also, if you say to players, Phil, and we've been there in county cricket, back in the day when there used to be 110 overs in a day. Yeah, yeah. 
you ran through your overs. I know they didn't have DRS and all these delays and concussion tests. I get that. But if you know as players that you're going to play 90 overs and you're in the field, I will guarantee the over rate will improve because they will not want a 40 over last session. There's no way in a million years that you will want 40 overs to bowl in the last session on day one. So you run around, you probably won't get the gloves out as much as a batting unit and you won't get as many drinks out as a fielding unit because you would want to get the overs done because you have to. Um, so that's what I'd improve upon. Half 10 starts and you have to bowl the 90 overs. Yeah, good. And there's a value for money thing as well, isn't there? These tickets are not not cheap. Cheap. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Um and you know, if if if, it, if you've gone and watched one of the tests this summer, you've been entertained almost certainly, right? But you'd quite like to see the cricket you paid for. You're mm-hmm. sure changed a little bit. It's a bit like going to a boxing match and they like all walk off and sort of like on round eight. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean but that does happen. If you get knocked out in round eight, they walk off or get stretched off. <laughs> You've got to think about the spectator as well. It's uh, it's something that needs to be addressed. It needs to just be flexible and get a little bit more up with the times, be a bit more proactive test cricket. We love all the tradition. Yeah. We love teas. But, Phil, I've heard suggestions like, oh, if you lose 30 days, uh, 30 overs, or you're on the ball 30 overs, you, you had an extra day. And I was like, well, if you bowl 30 overs on day one, 30 overs on day two, th- what, you're playing three extra days? <laughs> <laughs> If you've lost them to rain. Well, I don't. Yeah, I I just think all that thing, isn't it? I mean, we're only having this discussion because England has has suffered because of the rain. I mean, I can remember praying for rain plenty of times in in the past few years. I'm not actually. I'm thinking of the good of the game. I'm thinking of the good of the game. Let's take, let's take, you know, England and we're supporting England and what have you out of it. I think that you need to try and produce a product that delivers what it says it's going to try and deliver. Yeah, but Phil, let's be honest, we wouldn't be having this discussion. If England had got the draw at the weekend to win the Ashes and to retain the Ashes, and this is the reverse in Australia, so the fourth test, uh, Boxing Day, and all of a sudden, you know, the rain comes in and we'd be celebrating and we'd be saying, oh, the whinging, you know, the whinging Aussies. Yeah, you know, so you can actually understand where you can understand where the whinging poms kind of gets its uh, meaning in Australia. We do seem to bring up this kind of conversation when it doesn't work for us. Yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah. Let's let's be honest. You can't stay there for ten days. I've put on about a stone and a oh, half. No. <laughs> well, I mean, and also there's a difference between getting the 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 overs that you're supposed to bowl in or play in a given day, getting them done, and you know, adding an extra day because of the weather. I mean, the f- the fact of the matter is, this is cricket. It's an outdoor sport. The weather has an impact. Yeah, can I can I bring another thing to your attention, which I find absolutely baffling? So we knew the rain was going to be around Old Trafford, right? We knew that there's going to be rain in Sri Lanka in Gaul, right? When it rains in Gaul, it rains in buckets. Yet they put tarpaulin covers all the way around the outfield. And there's loads of people, loads of ground staff, right? So I said to someone at Old Trafford, well, on Saturday when we played 30 overs, we could have potentially played another 40 minutes if the outfield had been dry. And I said, well, why didn't we tarpaulin? Because we knew the weather was coming. Why didn't we have all the tarpaulin covers around the outfield? And the response was, well, that would take a lot of people. And I went, well, just get them in. <laughs> sure, yeah. Surely we can afford 40 more people to come and work the covers to make sure yeah. that the outfield is dry. So if it did rain and it stopped, whip it off when you get out there and play. Middlesex, Middlesex was playing. We were, we were going for the championship and we were playing against Knots and it was pouring rain and then it stopped. We all got out there <laughs> and started popping up. All the Middlesex players in our whites because we wanted the win. There was all of us out there. It was it was incredible. I got soaking wet. I ruined all my boots. <laughs> but we were out there with balls and sponges and everything. <laughs> I saw the Barmy Army. They were tweeting. They were volunteering to send members out there and get get them sort of sponging up the uh, the rainfall so they could you know could quite easily have handled a bit of tarpaulin. Ben, there is my point. Yeah. You know, you know, surely England, and I, I don't know if it's in the rules, actually, I'm sure you can just say, right, we're going to have another 40 members. And they, if it's the Barmy Army, because they could sing while they're pulling them on and off. <laughs> <laughs> so, it would be good television. 
Yeah. I, I don't know whether you can pull a tarpaulin holding a pint, though. That's the <laughs> a pint and a trumpet. <laughs> a bit tricky. <laughs> Well, a couple of couple of the England players I just want to mention because uh, obviously two of the players with the biggest question marks hovering over them produced the biggest performances. Zach Crawley got that sensational 189, and Bairstow, Phil, you've already managed, mentioned it. He got that ridiculous 99 not out. So have they vindicated Ben and Baz's faith in them? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Zach Crawley's innings, he rode his luck early on, that's for sure. But I think he's evolving a little bit. And and I think that some of the field field settings, actually, they had them bloke back on deep point, which meant he didn't have to keep going for those boob drives outside offside. I just saw him at the start of his innings look to knock it in there, rotate, strike, get ones and twos. They played it beautifully. And then he got into his knock. And when he started going and once he was in on a pretty flat and slow pitch, one pace sort of pitch, he played some knock. I tell you, it was incredible. What an innings that was. Before we move on, how would you like to attend the final test between England and Australia, courtesy of The Telegraph? Telegraph subscribers have the chance to win two tickets to the final Ashes test on Saturday, the 29th of July at the Oval, courtesy of IG. To enter, visit telegraph.co.uk forward slash extra. We will attach that link in the show notes as well. So check it out and good luck. So I'm delighted to welcome uh, one of the best-known broadcasters in the game and a massive cricket fan to the podcast, Piers Morgan. Hi, Piers. Thanks for joining us. How have you enjoyed the series so far? Well, I was trying to think, actually, this morning. When was the last time I felt a sickened by rainfall? And actually, it involves you, <laughs> Tuffers, uh, because it took me back 20 years to when uh, my village team, I'll very, do a very quick analysis of this, but my village team of Newark and East Sussex, they, I, I took them on the year before, about 20 years ago, with a family 11, genuine family 11 and more. And we got beaten because they pulled in a Pakistani ringer who got 150. So I thought, right, if you're going to play that game, let's see how you get on next year. So next year I turned up with a big van, and out of the van got Alvin Kalicharan, uh, Richie Richardson, <laughs> Sherwin Campbell, Stuart Williams, who were then the opening pair for the West Indies. Uh, I had Tuffers, Bowling spin, and I had Frank Bruno umpire, and it was absolutely <laughs> glorious. And we were about to destroy them when it, it after about half an hour it poured with rain. Now the upside was we went back to my house and we got a monumentally drunk led by Tuffers, uh, and so the event was there, therefore born of me bringing a bunch of ringers every year, including I might say Mr. Vaughan, who scored a thrilling one fifty on one of the years, one of the all-time great Morgan Olympics. And we've had everyone down there since, from Brian Lara to Warney to Curtly Ambrose to Inzavano Hook. Uh, everyone's come down and graced the village pitch. Very few times have my team won, because most pros can't bat on village pitches because they're uncovered. And, of course, you all need your run on those. But it did remind me, when I, when I was watching the rain come down on Sunday, how gutted I felt that year back in Newark. And it really it was a soul-destroying day, wasn't it? Because... This was building to one of the all-time great series, forget Ashes, of any cricket series internationally yeah. in history. To be 2-0 down, when really we should have been 2-0 up, actually, and I'm sure we'll come to that, but to be 2-0 down and then roar back to 2-2 and then go to the over, which is exactly what would have happened had we been able to play more than two hours in the weekend. Uh, I think it would have been really the greatest comeback in cricket history internationally and the greatest series it ever been uh, because the, the, the play has been so thrilling. Uh, and it also would have been a validation of Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum. Um, it, you know, th this whole basketball thing, I know they don't like calling it basketball, but the thrilling and audacious way that they go about their cricket has been, I think, the absolutely perfect bridge for young people who've been enticed in to watch 2020 mm. and T20 and the 100 and so on. That bridge to how you get them to like test cricket, because I think all of us probably here prize test cricket above everything else. I know I do. And so to have that bridge, I think, is incredibly important. We just have to, you know, get lucky with the weather. <laughs> Piers, I mean, I, I'm totally with you. This 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 way of playing and this um, this style. I mean, wherever I go at the minute, the hottest ticket in town is mm. 
can you get me a ticket for Manchester? Can you get me a ticket? I, I can't, by the way. I just can't get tickets. Um, do you think they needed to win the Ashes for everyone to kind of carry on with this kind of support? Or do you think they've done enough in the last few weeks for everyone to carry on with the support? No, I don't, I don't think there's been uh, an excitement around the England cricket team since 05, since you led our boys to that glorious victory. It reminds me very much of that. A reminder that that year we had terrestrial television. So the audiences on TV were much higher than they are now. But I think it's been getting very high audiences comparative uh, on on uh, Sky uh, this series. But I think also I've just noticed, like you have, a lot of excitement amongst people who want to go. You know, it's difficult to get tickets. I haven't seen, known that for a long time. So I think it's been brilliant. You know, I do think I've read all your critiques, Michael, and tough as I've heard you too. And, you know, I've read everyone's views about this. And I kind of come to the same conclusion, I think, which is that, this basketball idea is a bit like when they call body line, body line. I'm sure that most of the players didn't feel comfortable calling it body line, but it was leg theory and it was very effective in nullifying Bradman in 32-33. This basketball, I think, needs some modifications. You know, I think that when I was at Lords, when we gave away all those wickets, when we were 180-odd for two and then just fell apart, some of the shots we were playing, some of the shots we were playing before we were even out, you know, Harry Brooks' innings that day was terrible, I thought. And yet, I, I, you can see as the series has gone on, he's got more sensible, more judicious in his shot selection. And you can see he's a world-class player in the making. I mean, no question that he's going to be one of the greats. Um, so I think they lost their heads a bit at Lords. But I think that I totally understood why Ben Stokes is keen to say, look, you've got to let us do our thing because he's trying to instill in them that constant attacking mentality of scoring at five, six runs and over. And some of the younger players in particular, it's going to take a while for them to really work out the best way to, to do that. And I think what they're working out is they've all got the shots and the aggression to not go completely berserk. So I think it was, you know, we, we should have won at Lords. We should have won every test, let's be honest. We're a better team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. <laughs> and I think that we were done in by the rain. And I think that the Oval, I think we're going to flatline him. And it's going to, you know, I think we need to. We need yeah. to. I don't want to lose 3-1. I think that was, to lose 3-1 to this Australian team <laughs> of cheating convicts would be extremely annoying. Fantastic party, by the way. I can still remember that. That was an absolute ripper. Tough as like you just reminded me, the greatest moment of that party was my grandmother was living with me at the time. And she was in her 80s at the time. And uh, Tuffers went up to use the loo upstairs and he was in his England jumper. And he went up and he met my grandmother on the stairwell. And she said, who the hell are you? And he went, and he stood to attention, saluted her and said, Madam, I'm Philip Tuffnell, Middlesex in England. And she said, well, I've never heard of you, but keep, keep the noise down. <laughs> 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 it was classic. <laughs> My grandmother and Chuffles on the stairwell. A great encounter of our time. <laughs> Biz, I mean, you talked about you've talked about Ben's captaincy. Can mm. you sort of put your finger on what it is he's got? Because obviously you've you've interviewed lots of people from mm. all sorts of walks of life. Um, but they, they, ultimately, this is about leadership, isn't it? So, what is it that is in his character? You I, I absolutely love everything about Ben Stokes. I think he's got that warrior spirit. I think he's got the mental strength and resilience uh, to come through some pretty dark times in his life, physically, mentally, other things. And when you watch him back, when he gets going, the thing about Stokes is he doesn't go berserk for the sake of it. He doesn't play crazy shots most of the time. He's playing measured, brutal shots. But he can take a game away from people like no one I've seen. And some of the innings, I mean, that, that century he played in this series when he went crazy was just, it, it was insane to watch. You know, we, we, we take him for granted. I think he hit nine sixties in the end. He's got something ridiculous, right? I mean, he is unbelievable. But I think his captaincy, I love the fact that nothing, nothing deters him. He doesn't make apologies. There was a great interview with Athers, I think, yesterday or on Sunday when he was asked, you make you know, any regrets about the declaration that Edgebaston? No. Nope. One word. No. Nope. And I agree with him. <laughs> I agree with him because actually if he'd nicked off one or two of the Aussies that night, it would have been a piece of genius. You know, and yeah, he could have said Joe Root may have got another 40 runs. He might have been out next ball doing his, one of his ramp shots or, you know, Jimmy would have been at the other end. I'm just thinking that all the what-ifs about that declaration missed the point completely. I think that it was aggressive, bold, surprising, caught the Aussies on the hop, and very nearly paid off. Should have paid off. 
Yeah, we should have won those first two tests. I but, think but, but, going but back Piers, to the Piers, like that. But, but Piers, in sport, um, it's like Arsenal. If you'd have beaten Southampton, I think, at home in the Premier League hmm. and someone else and someone else, you'd have probably won the Premier League, but you didn't. No, no, listen, I, no, I agree. I mean, the one issue I'd take with, with Ben, the only thing I would quibble with is when he says that the winning the Ashes is not as important as the cricket we're playing. I'm not quite sure about that. I think that most England cricket fans would say winning the Ashes is what's really important. However... Grinding your way to a boring two run and over Ashes win over Australia is not a way to preserve and nurture Test cricket. And I've, so I completely understand why Ben Stokes continues to say we will continue to play our way and the cricket we're playing is what's most important. I get that, but I would, I would slightly counter the, I think that you've got to win things like the Ashes, because that's what we play cricket for. Well, I don't. I'd love to, but it's what the professionals do. And I think we got to, you got to ultimately prize winning above everything else as a sportsman. But I do get the argument that the cricket is amazing. Yeah, baseball is slightly evolving. Don't you agree, though, Piers? The way they have played, yeah, it's slightly being tweaked. Baseball before against lesser bowling attacks was a lot easier. When you come up against a very good Australian attack, you just want the you know international... Uh, final, obviously, and when they came and you know, we tried to take them on, uh, it didn't quite come off because we went a bit mad, but I think the batting that you saw in yeah. this test match is the ultimate basketball, where you can put the best oh. attack in the world, but actually we have the players now to take them apart. And it's just the scoring rate, isn't it? People were, you know, the, it's really interesting because as an amateur cricketer who loves cricket, and like, you guys all know I love English cricket, I've followed it since I was a kid, I was at Lords when I was 10 watching Lillian Thompson bowl at Tony Gregg and David Steele. We can remember almost every ball. I loved it. So it's, it burns in my soul. But the, the, the Ben Folks debate was really interesting, right? Because all my village mates on my WhatsApp group, we were all baying for folks to be picked, right, after the first two tests. Because Johnny had dropped a few chances, he wasn't scoring runs, he looked just a bit, you know, war rusty, really, for an Ashes battle. And I sort of agree with Jeffrey Boycott about that. I read his column about it. And he loves Johnny Bairstead, but he just didn't think he was physically fit enough to, to be playing. He certainly looked that way. Now you look at what happened in this test match. His keeping was fantastic. He took a world-class catch, two great catches, actually. Um, and he scored a sensational 99. Um, and then he gave that brilliant interview talking about the torment he's been through. Nine pins in his ankle only 10 months ago. And you suddenly realise, my God, what's he even doing walking, let alone playing a Latin series? Um, but I loved, I loved that interview, the fire that came back. And, of course, the argument that wins for uh, having Bairstow keeping over folks is the, is the run rate, isn't it? Is that ultimately, if you have a guy coming in at seven, he scores at six, seven runs and over, then, yes, folks is a good batsman, but he's going to be more of a two, three runs and over probably. Right, so it's the speed that you score the runs. It's not so much the folks' averages in the thirties. It's what rate does he go at? And I think that the whole metric for McCullum and Stokes is what rate can you score runs? And if you're basically a competent keeper, I mean, I mean, Vaughan, you had Darren Jones, right? Um, back in '05, he wasn't the best keeper in the country, but he was a bats. You know, he was good enough. Took some great catches, and ultimately was a good batsman when we needed him. So I think that. Historically, most of the time, England in modern times, certainly last 40 years, they've gone for a, a, a competent keeper who can really bat. And that's the way of the modern game, I guess. But my village mates would have dropped uh, Bairstow as the keeper and brought folks in. And that probably would have been the wrong thing to do. We have to accept that now. But that's why we're British cricketers and not you lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we, we don't get it right all the time, I can tell you that. Um, ben Stokes, I mean, I used to think to be deemed a great England captain, mm. you have to have the ashes in your hand. Mm. Now, absolutely, I, I, I will go against that now. From what I've seen in the last 18 months and what Ben has produced as a captain, he might not get the chance in two and a half years because his body is knackered, let's be honest. Let's hope he's still there in two and a half years. Mm. And as I said at the start, Ben, I, I, I think England... We'll have a great chance with this team if the, if the leadership group stay together. But 
I've got to put Ben in the category of an outstanding England captain, mm. even with out the ashes with what he's and it's not just and the rest of the world will say oh England are just stubborn and arrogant they're playing this stupid brand and it won't work all the time if we could get the world of cricket to buy into playing this style mm. how much better is Test Cricket going to be going forward oh my god I could, I could not agree more and I think that if you look at what was it one Test winning 17 before Stokes took over as captain look at his record since it's been sensational this is a guy who doesn't play for draws Sunday would have killed him because he just hates drawing. He doesn't see the point. Love that. I love that attitude. You know, I just think he's just he's just an absolute warrior, but he's a calm warrior. He very rarely looks flustered, Stokes now. He always looks like he knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. Everything is, you know, not he's not perfect, obviously. But I think the ethos of him and McCullum, and credit, by the way, to Rob Key for bringing these guys in. You know, if you look at the start of all this, he, he came in and he just quietly sits in the shadows, but two incredible appointments. Um, but I think Stokes is everything you would want in England captain. And I, I think he will be there in two years' time, but as a batsman, he, he just won't be bowling. And I think we're almost at that point now where he's just, you know, I don't think we're going to see him bowl much for England again. And that's fine. He's, he's one of the best batsmen we have. So just play him as a batsman, but as a captain. I, I think he's so inspiring. And, and then, you know, credit to Joe Root as well. Right, how difficult must that have been to lose the captaincy after winning one test in 17 and then to see someone else take over and have this kind of impact and to go with it. And I've known Joe quite well um, through the Dunhill Leaks golf, actually. That's where I got to really know him. And he's obviously a great lad. You guys know him better than me. But I was asking, what is, what's it like to play this kind of basketball? He was absolutely loving it, loving it. Loving the freedom. He's devoid of bitterness, isn't he? Completely. And you've got to say, that's I mean, pretty unusual in elite sport that you could you know, play second fiddle to another guy's captain after all those tough times and now see this happen and embrace it wholeheartedly. So I think the key thing, and I remember talking to Broad and Ellison at lunch, a long lunch with them at a golf thing uh, last year. And the enthusiasm they had for this new mentality was amazing. And, and Jack Leach was there. I was talking about every time he tried to put a, a fielder on the boundary, Stokes would go, no, no, every time, no, no. <laughs> and at least he said the incredible thing is it start, started to make me feel really confident. And I began to bowl better because I was just bowling more aggressively and I wasn't being too defensive. But he said, it, I kept asking, he kept being told no. Now, it's little things like that, I think, really impact on these players. And as a group, they just seem so pumped and so up for this. And as a fan watching it, I just think it's fantastic. I mean, what a what a series we had. We had Jack on a couple of episodes ago, and he would say he would say talking about that uh, anecdote, um, having the field up. And the other bit was that when he got hit over his head for six, mm. there was Ben Stokes clapping his hands and mm. smiling and encouraging him. Tactically in the field, well, at the end of the day, the batting's great, but you do have to get twenty wickets, and with a, I, I don't want to. Age in bowling attack. We have virtually managed to get those 20 wickets, which is, you know what I mean? It, it, it's a great feather in his cap. Anyone can go out there and lead from the front with the bat. But then also the way he then handles the bowlers and manages to get those wickets, I think, has been top drawer as well. Yeah, I totally he like he's a very intelligent guy, Stokes, and very calm under fire. But I yeah. also think on the bowling, if Mark Wood being fully fit from the first test, we would definitely now be two up. I mean, no question. And I also think what a tragedy is that Joffrey Archer is unable to play and may not yeah. play Test cricket again because, you know, we all remember that study bowled at Smith at Lord's. If you had Archer and Wood opening the bowling in this series, I think we'd be absolutely destroying them in every test. So I think that we've had a bit yeah. of bad luck and not losing Leach was, was bad luck as well. So I think that we know it's not been easy for us. Um, but despite that, I think we've been the dominant, better team. Talking about aggressive and sort of confidence and everything, uh, Piers, you you went into the um, talk to all the uh, mass murderers, didn't you? Yeah. You did a series about... <laughs> I still do. I've just done a new series of eight. Uh, yeah, a bunch of psychopaths, serial killers. Yeah, I find it, it, it puts me in the right frame of mind for interviewing cricketers, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A bunch of narcissistic psychopaths uh, who, who kill their own granny to get another test match. You know the type of main one. Um, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, they're actually really fascinating interviews because they don't, they don't, you can't pay them, obviously. So they don't have to be there. 
so they can leave at any moment. They're only doing it because they think you're going to be somehow helpful to them getting out. And so you have to play a real cat and mouse where you try and get all the stuff you need about their story and look like you're maybe slightly on their side. And then, boom, you go in with the sudden shift in tone. And at that moment, they realize maybe you're not there to uh, help them, but you're there to uh, hold their feet to the fire. And then things, things can turn pretty nasty quite quickly. So uh, it's, it's when you have little moments like I remember one guy um, – serial killer in New York I interviewed last year and the, the, one of the prison guards came up to me and there were three of them big ones with guns in the, in the, in the room which was unusual and I said what's with all the heavy security he went oh he said um, the guy you're about to interview is the only inmate we've ever had who broke out of handcuffs with his bare hands <laughs> and I said I said how many people how many people did he kill he said I think it was four or five he said with his bare hands I was like yeah I better be careful here. <laughs> so, you know, you do, you do have that. There's another guy interviewed the Kansas City Strangler who, who murdered 12 women, uh, strangled them all. And he, uh, my producer, who was the only other person in the room other than one guard, they both had wandered off in the middle of the interview down this end of the room. And I remember thinking, what? If this guy was getting annoyed, really wound up, and he's a strangler, like, how long does it actually take to strangle someone? Because he doesn't care whether I'm number 13. Right, and I said to my producer when he got after, I said, "You just wandered off, mate." I said, "You must have been twenty seconds away from helping me." I said, "Maybe 18. I said, "How long would you have left it if he'd actually attacked me?" He went, "Well, to the point of near asphyxiation." He said, "So we got it on camera." <laughs> <laughs> who is um, in your who's the best person you've ever interviewed? Um. I think in, well, let's start with sport. I think in sport, without any doubt, Cristiano Ronaldo, because I've interviewed him twice. And I think that what I, to me, he just represents everything that's brilliant about a sporting mentality at elite level. And there aren't many, I've been with him after the first interview when I went up to Turin. And he was very interesting about the number of players who've been fantastic. He said at the same level as me and Messi, he said, but only for four or five years. He talked about the other Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, you know, Gaza, uh, George Best, all these great, great players of the game, but only really had about four or five years at the top. And the common thing was they all liked to party, whereas Ronaldo and Messi have been remarkably injury-free because they treat their bodies like temples and are incredibly fit and healthy. Um, and, the, and I found the elite mentality had, I've only really encountered it in another sport with one person, and that was Michael Phelps, the swimmer, who I interviewed in the 2012 run-up to the Olympics. And he had 18 gold medals and was about to go for 21, which made him obviously the greatest Olympian in history in terms of gold medals, but also by far the greatest swimmer. And I said to him, what is it that makes you the greatest? What, what's the difference between just being a great swimmer and the greatest? And he went, well, why don't you go and ask all my rivals? have they ever gone five years consecutive without a single day off training? He said, and by that I mean six to eight hours, half in the pool, half out. He said, no break for birthdays, weddings, funerals, anything. He said, well, go and ask them. He said, and you'll find that none of them do more than six days a week. So I calculated, he said, that over a year, I would be doing 52 more days than each of my rivals training. That over a four-year a five-year Olympic cycle. I was looking ahead five years to the next big one after the one I was immediately in. He said, it'd be 260 extra days training. So when I stood there and was about to dive in for the start of a race, I would look either side and I'd see people I knew had done nearly a year's less training than me. And that's how I knew I'd beat them. And they knew I'd done it too. So they knew I'd beat them. And I told the story to Ronaldo over dinner and he was completely enthralled, just gripped by it because that's his mentality. He said, every time I have a day off training, he said, the next day is going to be harder. So to avoid that, I just keep training. And he has, you know, he sleeps at certain times of the day. He eats certain stuff at certain times. Nothing is left to chance. These guys aren't the best for, a, 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 you know, for no reason. They're the best because they just have a slightly different mentality to even elite sportsmen. So I think in sport, certainly Ronaldo, and Michael Phelps actually was an incredible interview. I think in... Um, in general terms, I mean, Nelson Mandela was unbelievable. I had an honour of interviewing him in 
London in 2003 when he was over, and he was incredible. I only got about 15, 20 minutes with him, but wow. It was, I can remember every moment of it. Just the passion, the fire, the... And, and, of course, the thing about him was just the remarkable ability he had for forgiveness. Mm. You know, who would have come out of prison after nearly 30 years in a six-by-six six cell? Well, having lost 30 years of your life, 27, I think it was. Who would come out and forgive the people that did that and stop his supporters from killing everyone? It was amazing. And he had that incredible streak. So he was incredible. The Dalai Lama I've interviewed twice. Uh, <laughs> I always thought that very, very like, I mean, tough as I always felt was so similar to the Dalai Lama. <laughs> no, we, we, me, and, me and Piers, me and Phil were in the Guinness bar in Durban in the Holiday Inn underneath and the Dalai Lama walked in. <laughs> well, there you go. In, in, uh, there on, you go. On my first tour. Come in for a Guinness. <laughs> it did. I remember interviewing him, and I said, I, said, I said to him, do you drink? He said, no. I said, do you, you know, never taken drugs? No. Ever, ever smoked? No. And no women, obviously. No. No, no, no. And then we carried on like this. Like, I went, do you ever watch television? No, no. I said, really? I said, do you know who Simon Cowell is? And he went, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love I love telling Cowell that story. Uh, just, just back on um, Cristiano Ronaldo. So Cristiano, he, he drinks and eats uh, exactly what's required at certain moments in the day. Mm. Very, very, very similar to Phil. He does. <laughs> he does <laughs> you get into the very good section section of the podcast, Piers, where. Um, Mr. Tufnell asks you some very awkward questions. It's called the either-or section. You can only choose one. It's either-or time, and they're not very awkward. I've been been pretty pretty kind here. Right, first of all, please, print media or broadcast? Broadcast now, sadly. All day long, lovely. Okay, then Stokes and McCullum or Thierry Henry and Arsene Wenger? That's a shocker. <laughs> that's a shocker. Uh, oh, that's that's. Can I take the fifth amendment on that one? Uh, if I had to choose, listen. Ultimately, someone once asked me, "Would you rather score the winning goal for Arsenal in the Champions League final against Tottenham in the ninety-fourth minute with a disputed penalty, or would you rather score a winning hundred at Lords for England against Australia in the Ashes?" And I went. I'd take the 100. So, ultimately, I'm a cricket fan first and then football, even though I'm an Arsenal nutcase. So, if I had to be pinned down, I would actually say Stokes McCullough. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Strong. Jimmy Anderson against anyone or Stuart Broad against the Aussies? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, let's narrow it down. Stuart Broad against David Warner. I could watch that all day, every day, for about another 10 years. <laughs> Uh, so let's make it that. I mean, I think we're so lucky with those two. They're just such incredible war horses, aren't they? And they're showing no sign really of losing their powers. I know Jimmy's not had the best series, but I mean, look at how little he gives away. Was it two runs and over or something? I mean, incredible. Um, I love them both. I would take Broad against Warner as my bowling utopia to watch. <laughs> okay, which, which was worse? Carey stumping or run out or whatever it was? Or Trevor Chapel underarm bowling. Well, it's very similar because they both times they claimed always oh, in the laws, and both times everybody knew it was disgusting. Uh, I do think the Trevor Chapel one was particularly, particularly loathsome because Carey didn't really do anything wrong. It was Cummings who, who was the villain because he could have called them back and, and didn't. In the Trevor Chapel case, this was a, his own brother instructing him to bowl underarm to stop a team hitting a six for victory. I mean, it's hard to imagine a more loathsome thing to do, isn't it? Um, and what was great was their other brother, Ian Chappell, uh, was on air and actually pasted them for days. <laughs> it was hilarious. So, you know, one brother hammering the other two for this despicable act of, of, of spirit breaching. That's really what it is. So, yeah, I think I'd have to go Chapel. I thought Chapel was, I think Richie Beno said it was the lowest thing he'd ever seen on the cricket field. So I'll go with Chapel. Okay, last one, mate. Uh, best interview, and I think we know who this is going to be, Ronaldo or the Dalai Lama. <laughs> uh, Chris, Cristiano. Well, Cristiano is the only one I've, I've won a lot of awards for. So I now have a bulging trophy cabinet entirely thanks to Cristiano. Uh, yeah, Ronaldo for me. Um, you, if you want to know about a mentality to get through life, never mind sport, 
then watch those two interviews and you'll be pretty close to what you need to do. And presumably the Dalai Lama didn't compliment you on your abs. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. I think he would have done if he paid much attention. But Ronaldo, being an elite athlete, spotted that my abs were particularly good. And do you know how many views that, that pinned tweet has now had on Twitter? 52 million. <laughs> 52 million people have watched Cristiano Ronaldo, possessor of the best abs in world sport history, tell me I had great abs. That, I mean, that, that for me. You ask me what's my favourite moment in broadcasting, it's those 10 seconds. Uh, Piers, and just just finally on this, um, the, the England team are a golfing team playing a bit of cricket. Um, how's your golf? <laughs> well, you know how it is. Rugby. My golf is a scratchy 16. I don't really play enough uh, at the moment to um, to feel proud about my game. But I can, it's a bit like my cricket. When it comes off, it's glorious. It's never going to be a thing of technical beauty, but the... You know, the it's all there. When my game comes together, I can take it down anybody. A bit like, I mean, ask me about my cricket when I bowled a bright lower in St. Kitts. You know, 10,000 people. I'm captaining the Ian Botham 11 against the Brian Lower 11. There's a video where I'm in the team coach with both teams, and I'm sitting opposite Lara, and they, they're filming. And I say, are you feeling all right, Brian? He went, yeah, why shouldn't I be? I went, because I'm going to get you out today. And then when he comes out to bat, it's the 15th over of 2020, 10,000 people going nuts because the king, Brian Charles Lara, is in the building. And I come on to bowl. I bowl him six deliveries, and he bats all of them like the hand grenades and doesn't score a run. And everything's gone quiet. And at the end of it, I went down. I said, mate, it's not a test match. Come on. What are you doing? And what he didn't know was I played four of the club cricketers who were bolstering our numbers. I, I offered them all 250 US dollars to anyone who catches Lara off my bowling, just to avoid any unfortunate little deliberate drop. So the next over, Lara still hasn't got down there. He's still in my head. I come on. First ball, I've given him a bit more sledge. First ball, tossed it up. Lara comes dancing down the track, smashes it through mid-wicket in his trademark way. And one of the club cricketers just takes off and catches this absolute screamer about an inch <laughs> off the ground and tosses it in the air. And we're all on microphones and this total silence in the entire ground other than him groaning and me going, yes! Uh, and then cut forward to the last over of the game when he probably couldn't get any words for him. I come out to bat. I hit Roger Harper about a million miles in the air, second ball, and get dropped by Brian Lara at mid-on. And then Lara brings himself on for the last over to bowl at me with 10 required. I slap him for a straight six, make the second through the non-existent slip cordon for four, Game over. Game over. And I walked off on my arm round and Beefy makes him out of the match. And I'm like, mate, this is what happens when you come up against the power of village cricketers. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, great stuff. Piers, who, who, would you, who would you most like to interview from the world of cricket, past or present, dead or alive? Um, Don Bradman. So when I was uh, young, I was the secretary of my New York Village Cricket Club. And we had a, a sort of weird connection to Bradman because a mile away from us is Sheffield Park, where Lord Sheffield used to entertain the Australians for the first game of every tour back in the like 20s, 30s, 40s and so on. And on our centenary year in 1984, I'd been writing to Bradman as a fan. It's an incredible story. So I've been writing to him for a few years. I was obsessed with Bradman and his stats and everything else. And he always wrote back. I've got about 25, 30 letters from Bradman. Incredible. And some of them are quite long. Um, amazingly sort of chatty about his life and everything. And then on our centenary year, 1984, I wrote to him and I said, is there any chance you could possibly, given the connection to Sheffield Park, we're the nearest club to Sheffield Park, and the fact Lord Sheffield then went to Australia and formed the Sheffield Shield, of course, is there any way you could possibly do a, a forward for the brochure? And I heard nothing for about a month. And then this parcel arrived in my house. And I'm 14. <laughs> a massive parcel from Don Bradman to Holden Road, Adelaide, uh, Australia. And in it was a thousand-word typed forward uh, referencing the Language Brothers, Jim and John, who'd lived in the New York Village, and one played for England, and both Sussex legends, referencing Sheffield Park, how many times he played there, Lord Sheffield, the connection, Sheffield, amazing. And a, and a sort of homily to village cricket and how important it was. And he enclosed a load of memorabilia, including pictures of him at Sheffield Park, pictures of him at Lord Show. It was quite amazing. And uh, that was, yeah, that was an amazing thing. And so all that did was reinforce my obsession with Bradman. And in fact, the other day I watched the uh, 
there was a TV drama made in the Bodyline series. I watched it the other day because I was bored, and it was just such an incredible series that, you know, how do you nullify this wonder god batsman? And you do it with this guy, Larwood, the pit miner, who bowled at 100 miles an hour. And they nullified him. He only averaged 52 that series. Obviously, considered, <laughs> considered a failure. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Brad, Bradman for me would be, just to be able to stick with him, I suspect he'd have a very similar mentality to Ronaldo and the others. I think his attention to detail, his work ethic, his, you know, he used to practice, didn't he, with the stump and against the water, water can and so on. I think that he just had that mentality, which the truly greats have that others don't have. Uh, so Bradman would be the one for me. Amazing story. Well, thank you, Piers. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure, boys. Great to be amongst Cheers, legends. Piers. Great to be amongst legends and you, Vaughn. <laughs> by the way, is my, is my score still the highest at Newick? Am I still the highest scorer? You are. You are the greatest run scorer in the history of much. the Morgan family game. It was something, Thank it was you. quite something. Yeah. You beat mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Peterson, which I know will cause you enormous personal joy. Uh, uh, by the way, was, I'm, 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 can I just tell you, you, you talk about the spirit of the game. When you were my captain and I didn't mm. walk when I was on about 12, you mm. congratulated me for not walking because I ended Correct. up getting 100 for your team. I don't think walking is what I categorise as being part of the spirit of the game because nobody walks. So I think walking, I, I sort of view walking as you get bad decisions, you get good ones, leave it to the umpire. I, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. What the Australians pulled with Bairstow, where there's no advantage being gained, where he's clearly walking up to talk to his captain. He's clearly he put his footmark inside the crease. That, I'm afraid, I said it wasn't cheating. The more I thought about it, it's cheating. And they know it's cheating, <laughs> and they could have done the right thing. But in their hearts, they're all the sandpaper guys. And so it comes naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Cheers, Piers. <laughs> Cheers, boys. Take care, guys. All the best. So we're joined, as usual, by Nick Holt, the Telegraph's cricket correspondent, who uh, is already, by the looks of it, ensconced at the Oval. Uh, how are you, Nick? Yeah, all good, thanks. Getting a bit tired, but nearly there. <laughs> England's announced the uh, same squad for the fifth test. Do we think it's going to be the same team? It's uh, a good question. It's a very light training session today. They've just finished, actually, England. Um, Jimmy Anderson was here. He had a quick bowl. Uh, Chris Wokes had a bowl. Actually, it was a bit of a surprise. He's carrying a little bit of an injury. Uh, Stuart Broad was looking pretty tired. Actually, he just did laps of the outfield, listened to his, listened to his uh, music on his phone. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I, I think if there are changes, it probably won't be radical. Um, possibly Robinson for Broad, uh, possibly the only change. Well, the, the big, I think the big question all cricket fans want to know is the forecast this week at the Oval. Down south, is the weather going to come from the north? Yeah, he's it's, it's not looking too clever, I'm afraid, for, for the match, but um, not as bad as it was in Manchester. I just spoke to Jimmy, actually, because we are just doing his column for the paper, and I said, um, I said, have you ever seen it rain like that for two days before at Old Trafford? And he, he just said, yeah, of course I have. <laughs> um, <laughs> He said, I've seen it rain for four days like that. So um, not uh, he wasn't too surprised. But no, the pitch is pretty great. It's a bit of live grass on it. It's green um, at the moment. Obviously, they'll cut it again before before play. Um, Brendan McCullum was getting down on his hands and knees, whacking it with his fist to check how hard it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't... You'd expect a result this week. I don't think the, the weather forecast quite like it was last week. Uh, and you said you talked to Jimmy. What's the what's the general general mentality in the team? Because we were talking earlier about the fact that England were all over them, obviously, in Old Trafford in those first three days. So you would expect them coming into the Oval to come in on the front foot. But equally, the Aussies have retained the Ashes, so that will uh, pep them up. Uh, I think that the, the, Jimmy said the message from, from, from Ben, actually, in the dressing room after play was that it doesn't really matter how many Ashes series we win or trophies we win or whatever it's about you know the legacy we leave and we are actually living up to that we're entertaining the, the crowds people keep coming up to us saying what how brilliant it is and we've stuck to our principles and it's come good at the last two games so uh they seem to be pretty motivated for winning this game um i just i mean it's just whether 
they've got the energy, which team's got the energy left in the tank. I mean, this this test series is over in 45 days. It's um, I was just looking actually the 2005 Ashes series, July the 25th. Today's date was the last day of the first test. I mean, we're coming to the end of it now. Um, and it's been very tight, and it's just could see some very tired players making some mistakes this week. Do you think there'll be changes for the Australian team? Uh, I'm not sure. The Aussies are not arrived yet. Actually, they're due in soon. Um, obviously, you'd expect Murphy to come in uh, for one of the all-rounders um, and freshen up the pace attack as well. It's still a huge game for the Aussies, isn't it? I mean, three-one and two-all. It's a massive difference, isn't it? I, I think if they go home and it's two all because and they retain the Ashley because it rained in Manchester, that would be the hollowest of, uh, of results for Australia. Um, the crowing would be a lot less as well. I mean, it would. It, it, it would um, although it's, it's a result that two two that would uh, both teams would go would end the series unhappy with because England would think of them as uh, whatever they say publicly will will internally be regretting some of the mistakes they made and what could have been in Australia too as well if it's two two they wouldn't have. They won't feel like they've advanced in any way. And, and Holtzy, I mean, from starting the stand, looking down at the pitch, is the grass on it or is it uh, bare? What colour are we looking at this week? Uh, I would say it's greenish. Um, it's nothing like the one at Edgebaston, which this stage, well, it was there three days out at Edgebaston and it was very brown. It looked like it had been shipped from Chennai. But this one, um, this one, yeah, green at the moment. And... Looks like it might have a bit for the bowlers. Thanks, Holty. No worries. Cheers. Thanks. That's all for today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Phil. Huge thanks to Piers Morgan for his time today too. I'm not sure I've ever had a conversation that took in both the Kansas City Strangler and the Dalai Lama. If you're new to the podcast, where have you been? Mike, Phil and I have been here throughout the summer. So if you want to catch up on any previous episodes with the likes of David Warner, Justin Langer and Sir Jeffrey Boycott, you can check them out on the Vaughan & Tuffers Cricket Club channel now. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, the address, as always, is cricketclub at telegraph.co.uk. So please do drop us a line. The three of us will be back with you next week for our final episode of the summer, when we'll be reflecting on the fifth test and the series as a whole. Until then, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.